0: welcome to episode 142 of the fabulously keto podcast and before i tell you what the today's podcast is about and who we have on i need to say thank you to some of our podcast listeners who have sponsored me for doing the six kilometer down the river in fairly cold water not freezing cold but cool um about 60 degrees um fahrenheit 16 degrees celsius um in July um and some people from the podcast have sponsored me so I need to say thank you so I've got a couple of anonymous people that have um given some money so I don't know if they are um podcast listeners or not but if you are thank you very much um thank you to Pam Pollin, to Christine Earle, and to Matthew Somich I think it's Somich or Somic in colorado usa so thank you all for sponsoring me it's very much appreciated and all the money is going to level water which is a charity which is raising money for disabled children who um who want to learn to swim they're helping them learn to swim so if you'd like to sponsor me and haven't yet that's at www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Jackie dash Fletcher two, number two. Um, Thank you very much. So let's get on to today's podcast. And today's podcast is slightly different to um, many that we've done before. We have done something similar in the past. So On the weekend of the, or it wasn't quite the weekend, it was a Friday, Saturday of the 19th and 20th of May, 2023, um, some of us went to the Public Health Collaboration, which is the phcuk.org, which is a charity uh, around raising awareness for um, public health, We went to the PHC conference and we saw some fabulous speakers and we had a a great time. And what we did was before we went, we organized a day after we got back to get together and do a recording of some of the things, some of our takeaway points, really. So this is a podcast with lots of different people involved. And people were giving their points of view and some learnings. And some of it was learnings from the conference and some of it was their own learning. So joining me um, on today's podcast in alphabetical order, we have Aranda Vikram Singh, Heidi Cuthbertson, Janet, Joanne McManamy popped in on her flight home from the UK Matthew Douse, Nicola Locke, Rich Smith, Stephanie Hewitt and Sue Bailey. We also had on the call with us Lois Butterfield, who was just listening in because she hadn't come to the conference. But um, I think she enjoyed listening to all of us chatting away. So I'd like to say thank you to Sam Felton and the PHC team for putting on a great conference. It was really, really good. Um, There was a lot of panels and I wasn't sure how I'd feel about that, but I think it worked well. Some of them needed a bit more time, but in general, they worked really well. And I think we all got something out of all of them. So let's go and hear from everyone and their points of view from the Public Health Collaboration Conference of 2023. Welcome all to the Fabulously Keto podcast. Isn't it wonderful that we're all together again after such a short period of time? So uh, for the listeners listening, um, we all were, well, most of us were at the Public Health Collaboration, the PHC conference at the weekend of the 18th to the 20th of may and we've all come on to share some of our takeaways learnings points that we thought might be interesting to share with you all so um we've got here well i'll let the people introduce themselves as they come on so matthew you're going to go first
2: yeah, I don't mind going first i I speak. My name is Matthew. Thank you for the introduction. I'm a nutritionalist. I work for human nutrition and lifestyle. Um, and we just kind of help people try and find a better lifestyle and a better nutrition uh, and achieve what goals they want to achieve. And the, the, one of the big talks that I wanted to get into when I went to the PHC was the one about can we outrun a bad diet, because I work with lots of athletes and lots of people who do plenty of exercise and always think that the diet doesn't matter. It's all about the exercise. The exercise is the thing that's going to lose the weight or that's, that's the thing that's going to achieve the goal they want to achieve. But really, we know, and the more you dig into it, it is very little percentage-wise, the exercise is more focused on the nutrition to whatever your goal is, whether that be athletic performance or whether that be just a body composition goal. So I was very interested to listen to that conversation with all those professionals that that was there. There was uh, James Cracknell, um, Sean Baker, and uh, Christian Daly as well, all speaking about, I think the first question I actually asked to them was, can you outrun a bad diet? And it was very interesting for me. For when they answered, they all answered yes in a way. They all said, Yes, you can. And uh, Steve Bennett, who was the uh, chair of the panel at the time, I think he was taken aback a bit by it. But what he actually reiterated was that they are all or were all professional athletes and have set world records. And what they all meant by yes was that they predominantly have a very, very good nutrition. They do now, anyway. So their baseline of nutrition is really, really good. And then on top of that, they can add in carbohydrates to seek their performance gains. And I spoke afterwards to James and to Christian, and I said uh, to him, when you when said, can you outrun a bad diet? Did you actually mean a bad diet overall, or did you mean introducing carbohydrates into your nutrition? And I, I don't want to lose too many people who, who aren't into athletics or who aren't into exercise. But when you talk about can you outrun a bad diet, if you focus the base of your diet on carbohydrates, which lots and lots of athletes out there do, then can you outrun that? No. The answer to that is no. And I made sure that Christian and James reiterated that point to me. The answer is no. If you, if you have that level of carbohydrates as a base level, you can't outrun that. But if you have your base level as a protein and a fat high-fat, high-protein diet, then topping that up with carbohydrates for performance gains, yes, you can outrun that. And yes, that is potentially optimal for athletes. That was something I I took away from there. And lots of athletes will be listening to this. And lots of people who exercise will be listening to this. And the main takeaway from can you outrun a bad diet is not to focus your diet on carbohydrates, but to focus your nutrition on fats and proteins and then if you need those carbohydrates for performance gains and i'm talking one or two percent to reach that extra little personal best that you need then there's nothing wrong there by by adding those in at the end
0: and one thing that i heard was when they said that was yes for a short while so um you could outrun it for a short period of time but then the health um the health benefits would be lost and you'd be starting to create problems that was that was my understanding of what one of them said and then the other thing was that i think it was james cracknell who said um he he needed the carbohydrates for that extra um because he's doing a very high intensity Workout, So he needed the carbohydrates for that so that he had the quick access to the glucose.
2: That yeah, was... I, think, I think the takeaway of it is um, what are they doing as a base level and where is the base level um, of your nutrition coming from? If your base level of your nutrition is coming from proteins and fats, then the extra bit of carbohydrates on top to get to the Olympic level and the world record level that some of those athletes are at, then in that sense, yes, carbohydrates are okay in a can you outrun a bad diet sense. But if you are mostly, which most athletes do, carbo loading and and relying on carbohydrates to get you through every exercise there is, then that's going to catch up with you. That's what's the short term of it. So, you know, the takeaway is sort out your baseline nutrition first.
0: Yeah. And Rich, do you want to add something there? Because I know that you are a professional or have been a professional athlete, so you might have a comment on that.
3: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, thoroughly enjoyed the weekend. Um, apologies, I didn't, uh, didn't introduce myself. I'm Richard Smith, uh, nutritionist also uh, from the Keto Pro. Um, X uh, type 2 diabetic, uh, used to be clinically obese, uh, amongst other things, but through diet and lifestyle, I managed to become British and European champion at a professional level in the world of men's physique, bodybuilding. Um, recently followed the path uh, that Matthew uh, follows quite regular, cycling and running. So quite new for me, which is why I'm wearing the vest. I've just been for for a run, uh, but only a few months into that. But part of what I do is I work with um, not just people who are overweight and suffer with diabetes, Uh heart disease, uh, cancers, et cetera. We work with a wide range of people, um, but we also work with semi and professional athletes. Um, now, can you outrun a bad diet? I think what Matthew has just said is is 100% spot on. Uh, I think ultimately, if your diet is is bad, you cannot outrun a bad diet. And I think what Matthew was alluding to is as long as your base is predominantly healthy, uh, and by that, I mean uh contributing mostly from from proteins and fats then then you can get away with a little bit of carbohydrate the question is do we need it for that extra performance um i, I would argue no uh, i think some athletes can put it in to get that extra percentage um now we look at things like vo2 max when when we're competing and the general consensus is that you cannot perform uh, at a high level of vo2 max for an extended period of time without carbohydrate uh but you can I've been working with a pro uh, cyclist recently who managed who has managed to um uh who has managed to run uh 90% of VO2 max, uh cycling at uh, a power rating of 368 watts for nearly four hours. Um, which is, you know, Matthew being a cyclist, I mean that is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and he is relatively new to to being ketogenic but we can upregulate certain systems and enzymes and pathways within the body in particular uh carnitine palmitoyl uh transferase and mcts the monocarboxylate transporters these are pathways and enzymes within the body that when we become adapted um, the the body utilizes beta hydroxybutyrate at a much higher capacity than than c- carbohydrate so can we get away with using carbs uh yes do we need them i don't think so um but in answer to that, I think fundamentally, can you outrun a bad diet? No. If your diet is poor, um, you are not going to out-train a bad diet. Diet is 80 to 90%, I think, of uh, of health and well-being. I believe that that should be the foundation. I work with lots of of clients who have no interest in doing any form of training or gym work whatsoever, and they live um healthy, healthy, um, fruitful lives, doing no exercise whatsoever purely by removing, you know, those, those detrimental foods, those, those foods high in lectins and and oxidized omega-6s, you know, reducing those grains and and excess carbohydrate. Uh, I think that, you know, we can, we can live uh, a super healthy life without having to do any training in the gym. If you want to do workouts in the gym, fantastic. That's only going to further enhance your health and well-being, but um, nutrition nutrition is key. And I think, as we all know, fat and protein is is key. Every cell in the body is made of fat and protein. We cannot live without fat and protein. They are essential for life. There's no there's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. Um, you know, we look at uh, carbohydrates being a macronutrient. Uh, the whole meaning of macro is is a substantial amount. Um, so for us, living our lifestyle. To call a, ca- a carbohydrate a macronutrient is a fallacy because it, it's almost non-existent within our lifestyle. Um, I think Matthew probably adheres to c- quite uh, a deep um, keto, if not carnivore, style lifestyle. Such as myself, um, I consume next to zero carb, uh, probably on a monthly basis. Um, so I consume zero carbohydrate. Uh, all of my food comes from from animal proteins and, and animal fats. But uh, yeah, agree with uh, with everything Matthew said there.
2: I just wanted to uh, jump on the end of what uh, Rich said and really reiterate the point that he was talking about athletes putting up to 90%, 85 to 90% their VO2 max and, and capable of doing so on no carbohydrates. Now, when I talked to Christian Daly, he was of the impression that adrenaline can come in too the area where lots of especially professional athletes and elite athletes um, can get beyond that, can get beyond 90% VO2 max just with adrenaline. Now, it tends to be a little bit diluted in the terms of professional and elite athletes because of the fact that they're doing it all the time. So they're so used to adrenaline. But I think adrenaline is understated in the amateur world of athletes, especially like your weekend warrior triathletes or amateurs that I work with, um, you often find that people perform way, way better in events than anything they can put out in training. And this is the adrenaline kicking in. So people often think they need those carbohydrates. And as Rich said, we don't need them, but they think we need them because of the fact they take them in the events when it is the adrenaline kicking in. And I think adrenaline is something that really needs a lot more research into and can actually, if, if we can do studies on that to prove that, we can really push that ninety percent without any carbohydrates, but just focusing on the uh, adrenaline hormone but also I'm um, correct me if I'm wrong, but
0: when adrenaline kicks in, so does blood sugar, so because the liver is producing the blood sugar so that you can get um the sugar that you need to your muscles so that you can fight or flee is the main thing so you know you're you're powered up to to get away from danger or to hunt your food down so um you're going to be in tip top shape
2: at that point well it will it will incite glucose um uh, but that glucose will come from gluconeogenesis yeah absolutely. So it won't come from exogenous uh, gla- uh, glucose or, or yeah. carbohydrates
0: and the and the liver will make it very quickly because yes. you yeah. need it to survive in you know yeah. if you go back thousands millions of years you need it to survive Otherwise, we wouldn't be here now.
2: Yeah, and, and I think we can definitely tap into that um, when it comes to the professional level, to the elite level uh, of performance. If we can only get people to, again, take that baseline level of making sure their nutrition is based around fats and proteins, then we can tap in to that evolutionary trait of adrenaline and push
3: elite performances and peak performances even further. Yeah. And I think one, one extra there as well that... Um... It almost seems to be black and white, you know, when you speak to uh, a carb athlete and you tell them that you are ketogenic uh, and if they see you consuming any carbs, well, you know, they automatically think that you're not ketogenic because you're consuming carbs. But the beauty of keto adaptation is that we can upregulate all of these systems and pathways and we can become dual fuel. So I can consume an awful lot of carbohydrate and still maintain a ketogenic state, um, and I found this when I was competing professionally. I could consume up to 900 grams of carbs for three days and still maintain a ketogenic state, which is absolutely incredible. When you think that we need to typically maintain less than 20, but this is because I've been ketogenic for 11 plus years. Um, my body is completely metabolically flexible, but there's always that black and white, isn't it? There's, um, um, there's no shades of gray, but it's not to say that as an athlete, uh, or even live in uh, a ketogenic or carnivore lifestyle that we can't consume a little bit of carbohydrate should we wish to do so um but i think there are better sources of carbohydrate over others white rice being one of them that's my preference as it's lectin free um i preference that over any other carbohydrate um if i if i were to put carbohydrate in it would come from from white rice in particular uh but yeah there's no reason for this black and white there there are shades of gray so, uh, yeah, I think uh, we don't need carbs, but we are dual fuel world. And that's the beauty. We are metabolically flexible. We have the ability to do this where a carb athlete cannot. A carb athlete is not metabolically flexible. No. Um, interestingly, I've got um, uh, I'm recording an athletic performance talk with Anthony Chaffey on Thursday. Um, so th- that will be released now by the end of the month, hopefully. So that will be a good one to watch if anyone's interested in athletic performance, but uh, if it's anything like the last one we recorded, I think it went on for we recorded about five hours worth of footage, which we put into two hours, but uh, wow. <laughs> that's always not that long.
4: Cool. Can, I, can I ask a quick question, Richard?
3: By all means, yeah. Um,
4: um, hello, everyone. I'm Sue Bailey. Um, I'm completely amateur on anything. I'm just here as, a, as an enthusiast, if you like, but your point about being Able to be in ketosis, do you is that because you've got more muscle mass? Would uh for argument's sake, if I didn't have the muscle mass, would it be harder for me to be dual fuel
3: or no? I don't think so. It it's it's that keto adaptation. I think the the biggest problem that I find with with clients that I work with is um it's, they find it difficult to stick to living a keto lifestyle, so they never fully. If you commit to the lifestyle, you can adapt in as little as three to six months. um But people look at living a keto or carnivore lifestyle as a diet, and that's not the way to look at it. It is. It is a lifestyle. um Now, I know uh this is a subject that Matthew has um is quite passionate about because Matthew, when you work with clients, you. Um, push or the all or nothing approach, isn't it? It's um, you know removing all the grains, removing all the seed oils. Um, now, I do this with some clients who I think can make that transition, but what I find is the softly, softly approach seems to work with the majority of people, um, whereas you remove lectins to begin with. You explain about you know how lectins cause intestinal permeability and lectins will cause five times more fat storage than insulin does itself because they bind to insulin receptors um, and all autoimmune disease is, is, is connected to intestinal permeability, which lectins cause. Uh, they're probably the main contributing factor to intestinal permeability. And then we look at, at these seed oils, these vegetable oils, that we're told are good for us and we're told are heart healthy. Um, they contain an oxidized omega-6 called linoleic acid. That damages the liver and leads to insulin resistance. But the biggest contributing factor to the seed oils is the phytosterols. Um, the phytosterols artificially lower our, our body's uh, natural cholesterol. And when we um, begin a ketogenic lifestyle, our cholesterol, all it does is returns back to a natural physiological level. Um, but these these seed oils cause insulin resistance as well at a, at a percentage at about 6% higher than carbohydrates. So you would see, when you work with a client, you will see more benefit from them removing seed oils than you would from carbohydrate. Um, but removing carbohydrate is probably an easier one Because seed oils are in absolutely everything. Every packet you pick up in the supermarket contains seed oils. And typically what I try to teach is if you need to read the packet, then you shouldn't be putting it in your mouth. Um, Unfortunately, people find it difficult to commit to this. So I try drip feeding or spoon feeding. So we run uh, eight-week courses in in the shop. We've got a shop on the high street. Uh, We work with Diabetes UK. And what we do is increment things slowly. We remove grains in week one. So I don't tell people to restrict carbohydrate. Um, just remove grains, and we illustrate the reasons as to why we're removing the grains. Week two would be seed oils. Week three, the importance of sodium and salt, because this is another fallacy that we're told we need to remove from our diet. Sodium is essential for life. We need considerably more than than we're led to believe. Uh, up up to ten thousand milligrams per day, uh, and we are told to consume around one point five grams or fifteen hundred milligrams. Um, There's a study that covers over 100,000 participants, over 17 countries, and it shows that when we go below uh, 1,500 milligrams, all-cause mortality increases massively. Um, Sodium is not the source of of, uh, of high blood pressure or essential hypertension. This is an insulin-dependent state. So it all comes back down to this insulin resistance. So when we start removing um, the seed oils and the the, the lectins, because most foods that contain lectins, uh, i.e. the grains, are also high in carbohydrate. And these are the foods that people are eating predominantly. When we be, we begin to remove these, then insulin resistance begins to, to reverse itself. Now, I don't tell people to stop eating potatoes uh, initially. Uh, I don't go in with the carbs until week four. Now, the carbs, uh, uh, to most people's approach, would, would come in week one. But I think from a health perspective, the biggest bang for your buck is going to come from removing the lactins, Um, because of this intestinal permeability and because of its effect on binding to those insulin receptors and signaling the fat storage. And this is, interestingly, one of the reasons that people will uh, stall on a keto lifestyle. So, yeah, it nothing to do with muscle mass. Uh, It's just about being strict with the lifestyle, consuming lots of natural fats and proteins and avoiding uh, the the more toxic foods. It's an adaptation period. Uh, Anybody can come adapted, uh, as I say, in as little as, as three to six months.
0: Thank you. So um Joanne is joining us from her flight home from the UK.
5: I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. My plane was late. I'm exhausted and I'm going to be thrown out of this room in 5 minutes. Um this is the only private ro- uh, room. So uh, uh I love the conference. I I won't rehash everything, but I left motivated and uh, my clothes are loose again, and I'm feeling so encouraged. It was so much fun as well as uh, content rich. So that's me from North, uh, from Charlotte, North Carolina, Douglas Airport. <laughs> and just
0: before you go, Joanne, was there yeah. any
5: one particular
0: thing that really stood out to you that was your favorite part or a quote that somebody said that really stuck with you?
5: No, they're all in my notes. And I just love Ben Ben And I got to meet uh, Georgia Ede. um, And she was magnificent. So it it, it was a good, it was a good uh, conference. Yeah, it really was. And I'm exhausted. (laughs) Well, safe
0: um, onward journey. And I will catch up with you in the week. And um, thanks for joining us.
5: And yes, and I got a four. I got a four o'clock flight to Orlando. And uh, anyway, love you all. Bye bye. Bye for now. Bye. 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 So,
0: your favorite lecture, maybe, or your favorite point? Do you need to or, jump
3: back in, Jackie.
0: If if you want to, you can do. If no one else is going to jump.
3: Patrick gave a fantastic talk on uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, and what Patrick highlighted was that uh, an elevated level of homocysteine, um, he believed to be the contributing factor towards this. And by making and implementing specific dietary changes, uh, in particular, adding in who'd be 12 I um, believe it was iron, and um, uh, particularly DA, Dr. Saxon, that was um, uh, able, uh, or oh, that showed uh, an ability to reduce homocysteine and Improve levels of dementia and Alzheimer's, but um, as I was saying, I've I've invited Patrick on my podcast because I wanted to look into the mechanism behind this because I believe that it's um, a case of the chicken and and the egg scenario. I, I believe that it's it's the other way around. I think that the homocysteine is, has been elevated because of lack of the vitamin B twelve and and the DHAs. Um, when we look into uh, neurotransmitter signaling uh the cate- uh, catecholamineogenic neurotransmitter synthesis uh we need specific um uh, proteins amino acids like tryptophan we need vitamin b12 iron and zinc and if any of these are devoid um this impacts this um this, this these neurotransmitter signals uh and it's going to have a detrimental impact Now, it's super complicated but i i think it's more to do with the the, the lack of b12 and this comes back down to the diet again and as patrick highlighted when we remove processed foods, we reduce inflammation. Uh, when we add in more animal proteins, we're we consuming more vitamin B12, more cobalamin, and iron. Um, you know, we are told that we get iron from spinach. Uh, this is what Popeye told us, but spinach, uh, despite holding uh, or you know, containing a high level of iron, it doesn't contain heme iron. The human body needs heme iron. We can only get bioavailable iron from, from animal sources. So Again, I think it, it just alluded to the fact that consuming real foods and removing these highly processed toxic foods and coming back to a more animal-based lifestyle high in, in, in omega-3s and whether this comes from uh, wild fish or red meat because uh, red meat is surprisingly high in omega-3s as well. Um, we can make these, these, these interventional changes and prevent things like Alzheimer's, dementia and Parkinson's. The, this, the brain can literally be swimming in a sea of glucose but if the brain is insulin resistant, it can't... Um, it it loses its ability to to uptake this glucose and and feed the brain and this is where beta hydroxybutyrate the ketone body that we produce being ketogenic comes into play our bodies ramp up um, uh, the ketone body beta hydroxybutyrate and this feeds this breaches the blood-brain barrier uh, and feeds feeds our brain Um, and we we see this doing supplementation of, of exogenous ketones and things as well but fascinating talk by patrick and that was one of the the best talks for me was uh, was Patrick's talk. I found it highly informative, um, and and the big debate as well uh, between uh, veg- vegetables or vegetarians and and, and more animal based lifestyle. I um, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I thought the evidence from Anthony Chafee was uh, was spot on, uh, highly evidence based. And um, yeah, it was a shame that he couldn't be there in person to present that, but uh, fantastic presentation for me
0: yeah I picked up on the 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 one from Patrick about the homocysteine levels, and actually i while we were sitting there, I pulled up my last blood test, which was from twenty twenty one and my homocysteine levels were something like twenty three point five or something like that, they were really high um so it'd be interesting to see what will happen now if I have another blood test because i've been I've really up my protein and really up my red meat intake. So it'd be very interesting to see how it's changed over the fantastic. last two years.
3: Brilliant. Yeah. Fantastic follow-up. It'd be interesting yeah. to see.
0: What do you think? I'm just going to ask Rich. What do you think about supplementing with omega-3s as in the DHA and EPA? Um,
3: yeah, I, I know Patrick is a big, um, he was showing me his, um, his stash of omega-3s that he was supplementing with. I didn't have the heart to tell him that um, omega-3s can become oxidized in the same way that, uh, Vegetable oils do uh, in as little as 20 days. Um, Supplementing with omega-3s, despite the best source, uh, is not a good idea for me. Um, As I say, the oxidation happens incredibly quickly. Get your omega-3s from your food. Um, Salmon, sardines, mackerel is probably the the best source. Um, But stick to real food. We don't need to supplement with with omega-3s. I used to supplement with them. Uh, I used to supplement with an awful lot of things. Uh, turmeric being another one. I know, Jackie, you know about my thoughts on turmeric, and Matthew, you've probably seen me ranting about the negative effects of turmeric as well. But get these things from 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 your animal proteins. Fish is the best source, but by a long way, we don't need to supplement with omega threes. Great.
2: I think if I if I could just jump in there with supplements, because uh, lots of people always go on about supplements, and and even to the point with supplementing any type of. Uh, vitamin or mineral or multivitamin whatever it may be to get that from a synthetic tablet your body is going to struggle however it's been put together probably the only single supplement out there which could aid you is a vitamin d3 supplement Um, and that's because we live in the north hemisphere and d3 is is really a, a hormone it's not really a vitamin at all and it, it will help help us to to supplement that. But any other thing, even down to like um what Rich said, like vitamin B twelve, they're all together in a matrix in food and they all help each other um when it comes to your body being able to absorb them. So supplements are just no good compared to food. I agree.
3: Multivitamins, complete waste of money. And I'll tell you why when we consume a piece of meat. It goes through the digestive system and the body takes two, two days to digest and absorb the nutrients in there. And it does so because um, those nutrients are absorbed at different processes, different points throughout the digestive system. A multivitamin, when we ingest it, they compete in for absorption. They fight for the same metabolic pathway. So very little is actually absorbed. This is why when you take an iron supplement, it changes the color of what comes out the other end. Um, vitamin C. That we take in supplement form is not vitamin C. Uh, it's, it, um, it's ascorbic acid. Ascorbic acid is one part of six parts that make up vitamin C. Uh, and when we consume a vitamin C supplement, the body needs to take these other five parts from other parts within the body, um, making us devoid in other places. So, multivitamins, no go. And again, coming back to the vitamin D, yeah, I think um, I can see somebody just mentioned creatine. Creatine monohydrate, fantastic supplement. Um, I think everybody should be taking creatine. We can either get we get lots of levels of creatine through the meats, the foods that we eat. I supplement with creatine also. Uh, Creatine is fantastic um, for the neurons in the brain. It's it's been proven to make you more intelligent. You wouldn't think it listening to me rabbit it on like an idiot, but it um, it's um, part of it. The body is in the um, creatine. you know think of it as being this person that isn't intelligent whatsoever but you'd be surprised how many bodies are actually clued up and, and look into nutrition to a to you know to this degree creating monohydrate fantastic uh, particularly for athletic performance but also for the brain um but d three again yeah I think most of that we can I believe we should get that again from, from animal proteins. I know we say that the sun um but vitamin D is, uh, is is a sunscreen, and when we go out into the sun, uh, it's, synth- it's synthesised within the skin, uh, and it, it, that's why it's acting as as, as a sunscreen. Um, lots of benefits to vitamin D, but I think most of the benefits that we see with vitamin D are nothing more than a surrogate marker to an increase in nitric oxide when uva rays hit the skin uh, it increases nitric oxide within the body and this is what uh, what improves longevity nitric oxide is associated with with improvements in longevity It increases vitamin d but vitamin d is nothing more than the surrogate marker so i think more sun and more red meat um you don't need the supplements but creatine fantastic
0: right let's let's move on to someone else's opinion favorite part nicola do you want to go next um, yeah, like Richard just said, I was really looking forward to
6: seeing Patrick Holford. Um, oh, by the way, I'm Nicola. I'm an ambassador for the Public Health Collaboration. Um, yeah, I was really looking forward to seeing Patrick Holford. And I first came across him on Steve Bennett's podcast, which is called Fat and Furious. And when he was talking about Alzheimer's and I know we're just talking about supplements and he was talking about the high homocysteine levels and that you should be taking B vitamins if you've got high homocysteine. I think he said something over about 11.5 was high. Yeah. So I started taking what they called like neurovitamins. Um, He's got a website called Food for the Brain, which um, I subscribe. I I donate £5 a month towards that. So I'm a friend of Food for the Brain. And they're the working on Alzheimer's prevention. So I'm really, really interested in that. Um, yeah, I've not got much, because I'm not really an expert on these kind of things. I, I just sort of am um, interested in certain topics. And I think Alzheimer's is a massive thing at the moment because they call it the type three diabetes. And I think a lot of people think that, I suppose, like with cancer and Alzheimer's, they're just waiting for them to happen and they're all things that we're all scared of happening because the I mean there was a talk about cancer as well and they reckon that one in two of us is going to get cancer which is horrendous and another thing that we're all scared of is Alzheimer's and to tell people that these diseases are preventable um it's a game changer but a lot of people won't take it on board if I tell a member of my family that they can improve their risk of Alzheimer's through their nutrition they think I'm mad. They just think, well, it's just one of those things that happens with old age and we get brain fog and they they don't realise that it could be what they're eating
0: is making things worse for them. That's my experience anyway. Yes. I think people are not interested. They don't want to, they don't want to admit that they'd need to change something in order to improve their health. Plus there's that thing about it's in my genes, but actually only about 30% of diseases is due ge- down to genes. Most of it is down to the the stuff that your parents did, that their parents did, that their parents did, that's handed down. So the way of eating is handed down as well as the genes. So I think when you change your lifestyle, you you change your genes as well. You you the epigenetics, you you turn a, a gene on or you turn it off. So So was that your favorite Welcome. talk? Nicola?
6: Um, I thought it was until the following day, and I really enjoyed the meat versus plants. Um, I think we had three people on the panel who were for plants, although Patrick Holford is um, very um, fish. He encourages people to eat rather than red meat. Uh, and then we had the three people more towards the carnivore side. And... I did think that Dr. Chiddy was squirming a little bit on the Zoom, like he looked a little bit uncomfortable. But I, I I did think really it was a well-rounded conversation. It was moderated well. Everybody got to have their say. There was there was no argument, you know. Everyone's got their opinion, haven't they? And and it's quite good that. It might change some people's opinions. So the, the plant-based people might listen to it and think, oh, I think I'm going to go more carnivore. The carnivore people or that more meat-based people might think that, oh, well, maybe I'm going to add more plants to my diet. Because I actually think um, that you do need plants for the gut microbiome because Dr. Robert Lustig says in his book Metabolical that the fiber isn't for you, it's for your gut. So I don't know. I've heard a lot about that because also uh, Tim Spector, I've heard podcasts with him. He's very um, sort of like an advocate for eating lots and lots of vegetables and all different colours of the rainbow. And I I do stress with vegetables as well that you've got to go organic. You can't be eating the vegetables out of the supermarket that have been sprayed with the Roundup. It's just, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think when it comes to... Vegetables, you're 100% spot on. I I work with clients from from all walks. I I work with vegans and vegetarians um, as well. Um, But when we look at feeding the gut microbiome, um, we look at fiber uh, as a short-chain fatty acid. And and it is, and it does feed the colonocytes in the gut. It comes into the system. It binds to the colonocytes and it feeds the colonocyte that it comes in contact with. But before it feeds that colonocyte, it it breaks down into beta-hydroxybutyrate. Um, us being ketogenic, or if, for those of you who are, we have beta hydroxybutyrate running through our veins. It's literally feeding every colonocyte, not just the colonocyte that the fiber comes in contact with. But if, if the short chain fatty acid in the form of butyrate is an issue, then meat or animal based products also break down into short chain fatty acids. They break down into isobutyrate, uh, isovalrate, and propionate, which feed the colonocytes at a higher rate. Than the short chain fatty acid butyrate does from plants. So when we look at fibre, um, plants or sorry animals is animal fibre. So it's it's just a case of changing the source of that short chain fatty acid, uh, and our gut microbes are, and they they feed on on what we feed. What we put in is what we get out, and there's t- there's two types of phylum. We've got Firmicutes and Bacteroidetes. Bacroidetes is the predominant one. This is what we find is elevated more in in healthy people and people who live a carnivore lifestyle have this elevation of of or Firmicutes. Um, everything we need we can get from from animal fiber. So we we need to think of of, of animal proteins as as animal fiber. Um, fiber from plants. is is in fact an anti-nutrient. It prevents the absorption of much of the nutrients found in that. We look at uh, vitamins and minerals. Um, They're actually very poor sources of vitamins and minerals. I know we're told to consume all five a day, but we're told, when I was growing up, my my mother told me to consume carrots for, for vitamin A, for retinol, but carrots do not contain any vitamin A whatsoever. No plant does. Uh, they contain something called beta-carotene, which is a precursor that needs to be acted upon by an enzyme called BCMO to convert it into the active form of retinol. And it does it so inefficiently, close to zero is converted. And it's the same case when we look at B vitamins. Plants are very low in B vitamins, particularly um, niacin vitamin B3, pyridoxine, B6. Um, uh, None at all, as far as cabal and B12. Um, Nothing whatsoever. Kale that we consume for vitamin K. Kale contains zero vitamin K. The human body needs vitamin K2 and kale contains vitamin K1. So the human body needs to convert uh, those uh, those K1 into K2. And again, it does a so efficiently close to zero. Um vitamin vitamin D we can't get from plants, but we can find in, in, in animal yeah. proteins. Uh things like um, choline, carnitine, carnosine, carnitine, taurine, all available in, in animal proteins. So we don't I, I believe we don't need plants whatsoever I've been plant free for close to four years predominantly I I have the odd plant in now and again um, but I always feel worse after putting it in I do feel a lot better when I am strict carnivore.
0: Stephanie you you were just there for the Friday what was your biggest takeaway?
7: Um, I really enjoyed Ben Pickman's talk although um, I have listened to him podcasts, I don't think I've heard quite such an in-depth explanation before um and i something that he said as a bit of a throwaway really resonated with me Uh, i found it really difficult to stop eating uh if i'm eating eggs steak whatever vegetables i found it quite difficult to stop eating and uh something he said was um Some people are addicted to feeling full Mm. and that really, really resonated with me. And funnily enough, I've been talking to a woman next to me who would say that she's a low carb GP and she just looked at me and said, that's me. And I thought, well, that's that's me as well. And that I found um, quite an interesting thing to reflect on. And I also really enjoyed Patrick Holford's talk. Um, I haven't come across him before. And I've gone out and bought fish oil. Sorry, Richard. <laughs> and I've ordered some B12. <laughs> because um, because what he said made quite a lot of sense to me. Whether I keep taking it, I don't know. But um, I've been listening to you talk. I understand what you're saying about um, uh, the, the supplements not being so well absorbed. But surely they must be doing something if they lower the homocysteine in the, in the studies that they've done.
3: Yeah, I and, and I believe that to be the case. I, I I own a supplement store. So I own um the Keto Pro. Uh we offer all sorts of of low carb and ketogenic supplements. I'm I'm all for supplement and I just think that the predominant um amount of 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 nutrients that we that we need to take should should come from from natural sources where yeah. it, where they can come from. Yeah. Um you know if if you don't like consuming sardines, mackerel or salmon I do. Mm. Fant- Fantastic. You know
7: Yeah. I eat always. In. It's yeah. um
3: I'll try to dig out the study that I found in regards to that oxidation of, of the, the seed oil. Uh, yeah, of, um... I have
7: heard that before and I haven't taken fish oil supplements before because of that. But um I thought, ooh, I'm 61. <laughs> I think I'll give it a go. Yeah.
2: Well, i just say that generally on the back of that is the fact that they all vitamins and, and supplements and things always show better results. Because most people's nutrition in the first place is not very good, so if you've already got that base level of good nutrition, then vitamins, uh, extra supplements, like most of us here today talking, uh, have probably got a really good nutritional base. Adding in extra supplements and vitamins, as some of you are, are doing nothing. It's expensive, Mm. if you like, you know. But, Mm -hmm. But but the studies do show, yes, I agree, that there can be benefit from them. But those studies generally are on people without great nutrition anyway yeah yeah, G- yeah. Gary taubes,
1: yeah
8: gary taubes uh describes it as taking sand to the beach
9: yeah. <laughs> I like it.
0: so just before we move mm-hmm. on to someone else i'm gonna say that all- on this podcast we've got a few people that already have their own podcast episodes so i will put those in the show notes the links to so we've got nicola we've got aranda we've got rich joanne's gone Matthew's coming on soon, so um, I'll just put the links in the show notes. Janet, what was your biggest takeaway?
9: Um, I enjoyed um, Andrew Scarborough's um, talk. Um, That was – was that Friday?
0: That was – Was it Friday
9: or Sunday? Sunday? Was it Friday? I can't remember. But I really I I really really enjoyed his his um talk about his um experience. Um you want to tell the
0: listeners a little bit about his experience?
9: Right, so so Andrew um Scarsborough is um quite a young man who um had a who has a brain tumor um about um eight years ago uh, and he collapsed and it gave him um epileptic episodes um and he did some and they told him that his brain tumor was <laughs> that was really sad they told him on a they rung him up on a friday afternoon to tell him that his brain tumor was terminal, and could he come in on Tuesday for some treatment? And he was all alone. I, 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 I don't understand how anybody would think that would be
0: acceptable. But and anyway. he must have been really young at the time because he looks young now. So <laughs> he
9: looks, he looks young now, doesn't he? So eight years ago, I, I just, I just um, was gobsmacked, really. Um, so he investigated um because he wanted to do something about he was dying anyway but he wanted to do something about the the epilepsy and he found um a therapeutic um ketogenic diet uh four to one ratio um and he did that and that really helped with the the epileptic episodes and also helped with the 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 tumor Mm -hmm. but he he told us about his his journey and and i just thought yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy and I also enjoyed um that the one that just had me sat there with my mouth open was the uh woman from Paleo uh
0: Sophia Clements. Uh,
9: yes. And 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 the thing is um because I don't think English is her first language. It's um, the tone of her voice didn't sort of get you into it. But if you were listening to what she was saying, I was just sat there with my mouth open because, and and I was thinking I'm going to have to go back and look into this because she was saying, because normally people hedge their bets they do the standard treatment they take their their chemo or their radiotherapy and then they um they do stuff with their diet um and she was she was bringing up all these case studies and research about the fact that the people who do the standard of care die within about eight months and the people who just changed their diet are still alive mm-hmm. i just thought is that really what she's saying and she kept bringing up these case studies and i thought I didn't know that because I know a lot of people hedge their bets. They do the standard of care. They they take the chemo or the, the radiotherapy and then they, um, they, they clean up their diet quite a lot.
0: So I'm, I'm going to have to investigate that yeah, further. I think I'm just going to because one of my points was I've always wondered if because I'm very um, and people that know me know this and maybe some of the listeners have gathered this is that I'm very anti medication and I have been for a long time um and um I've often wondered what would I do if I got a cancer diagnosis because I'm not sure I would take the treatment and I think what her talk reinforced for me is that there is another option that I could follow if I got that diagnosis and I you know fingers crossed I won't have to cross that bridge But if I do, I thought I felt reassured that there is something I could do that doesn't mean I'd have to go down a medicated standard of care route. And I felt very reassured and, yeah, empowered by that. So, Aranda?
8: Um, I think um, the most powerful one for me was uh, the panel discussion about do we need to eat plants? Uh so you know there were there was Dr. Anthony Chaffee uh, and Dr. Sean Baker uh, from a carnivore perspective. Uh there was Patrick Holford from an omnivore perspective. Uh then there was Hayley Wood from Ireland, um, very kind of passionate story about her and her daughter, more kind of plant-based and kind of vegetarian, and then there was uh, there was Dr Chidi uh, who, was, who was a qualified doctor treating patients uh, to try and reverse chronic disease using plant-based methods. Uh, I'm Miranda by the way, um, ambassador for the PHC for um, Harpenden in Hertfordshire. Uh, so I what I loved about that panel discussion was the level of respect uh, in the discussion, and it was a discussion, it, it never turned into a shouting match. Everybody had their say, and kind of Dr. Campbell Mur- Murdoch did a really great job of making sure that people had equal time. Uh, because I think if I think you stop people hearing what you're trying to communicate if you shout them down. So I do hope that there are are quite a few people in the plant-based space who again about their lives and their choices. Intentionally, the talk excluded ethics and the environment from the discussion. That was covered a bit later in terms of the panel discussion about um, our cows click killing the planet, which was, again, my, my kind of second favorite. But I think I was really impressed with the the level of engagement and the level of respect in the discussion. Um, And I'm obviously an omnivore uh, with a kind of animal based uh, kind of bias, if you like, because it just makes so much sense to me. Uh, Because I think Dr. Chaffee and uh, Dr. Sean Baker really broke it down into terms that people cannot easily understand in terms of if you want to make a human, we're made of amino acids and fats, uh, you know, structurally, uh, amino acids, fats, cholesterol, where do you get the ideal ratio of those uh, in nature in terms of things that we eat? And it's animal based foods animal-based food, and there's the discussion around kind of uh, gastrointestinal distress uh, you know I, I didn't think dr chaffee had a very strong answer for that because you know people with gastrointestinal distress uh, you know ulcerative colitis uh, was i think what they were discussing um, Quite a few of those patients do really well if they go on a low-residue diet that's highly nutritious. And what diet is that? That, That's animal-based with hardly any fiber. And there was all the evidence that Dr. Chaffee brought out about uh, people with uh, sort of um, constipation, chronic constipation. And the patients who did the best eliminated all fiber. Uh I think Dr. Paul Mason from Australia, I think he 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 does a really good talk on this where he puts up a chart and he shows the, the levels and gradations of the level of fiber that patients take on this study. And um one of the one of the bars or categories, it, it looks like it's a mistake because the it's zero. It's zero in terms of the level of fiber but 100% of those patients completely resolved all of their const- constipation and gastrointestinal distress. And, you know, with it's clear from sort of the doc- Dr. Haley Wood, it's clear from her story that herself and her daughter are thriving uh, on a kind of mostly plant-based vegetarian Type diet though they do include eggs and cheese uh, so she's got a growing daughter and sounds very active and healthy uh, sounds like she's recovered really well from all her health issues uh, I think my main takeaways from that discussion were sort of um, first of all everybody agreed let's cut out the ultra processed food yeah nobody disagreed with that Nobody disagrees with that. And and, and the second one is humans, quite demonstrably, can thrive on a really, really wide variety of traditional diets, predominantly unprocessed or minimally processed, kind of traditional foods that people have been eating for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Um, But I think the caveat to that is. Yes, humans can thrive on a very wide variety of diets, but that does not necessarily mean that you yourself as an individual can thrive on any diet. If you look at any one individual, there will be particular ways of eating that suit you best. And this is where we we kind of really need to be open to, you know, Nobody disagrees about cutting out the ultra processed foods, but just being open to, there might be some people who would benefit from adding back plants, whereas other people who are currently plant-based and have massive gastrointestinal distress and constipation and ulcerative colitis, they might and sticking with that because they really believe that they're doing the best things for themselves for the environment, uh, you know, uh, best things ethically, um, they might open their eyes and think, look, I don't feel very well. Um, And then I I want to feel well, and maybe I should reintroduce some animal-based products into my diet, and then maybe they'll listen to something like the panel discussion about our cows can kill the planet and and realise that there's a bit more to it when it comes to the ethics around our food uh, because it doesn't necessarily follow that if you're plant-based that you're doing the most ethical thing for the planet yourself your health uh, or for the environment so i I think i think those two panel discussions were particularly powerful for me but i think the one i enjoyed the most was the do we need to eat plants
2: discussion yeah Can I I just uh, jump in there? Because I think that what what yeah, hi Matthew. Sorry, (laughs) I think what Doctor Sean Baker and Anthony Chaffee were trying to get across there in that debate was about animal foods being optimal. Um, So it's often like what I talk about with my nutrition ladder about steps on the ladder. Certain people are going to fall in at certain steps in their in their lives around where they are, but there's no doubt about human biology always needing those animal foods and those animal foods being optimal for our biology. So the higher up that ladder, you can push yourself and you can get yourself. I know Rich has got something similar, um, what he talks about. There is different stages what people can be at, but is that still going to be the right stage for you? I think you need to always be looking towards those animal foods and always be trying to add in as many as possible because that is optimal. And I think optimal was the word that Sean and Anthony tried to get across as much as possible in there.
8: Yeah, I I guess the only caveat I'd say to that is, as human beings, optimal isn't just about what we eat. Uh, It's about our values, our kind of culture, uh, you know, our values and culture. Because, you know, as a health coach who's coached quite a few people to type 2 diabetes remission, um, I quite often work with people from a Hindu background, for example and it would be completely inappropriate of me to talk to them about the benefits of beef because you know (laughs) that's a no-brainer that's a no-brainer so with with kind of um people and their culture and their values it's really important to be respectful of that and you know with with patients like that i think oh how how do you feel about adding in some eggs into your diet Uh, and things like that or I have come across the occasional like vegan patient in in, in terms of what I tell them I don't normally uh, recommend that you look at refined foods or processed foods. But how would you feel about looking at a refined form of plant protein to get your protein percentages up, um, you know, to get your macros up on, on the protein? Um, so, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, I completely agree with that in terms of there's a big difference in terms of what's biologically optimal and between that and what people are prepared to do on a day-to-day basis that's kind of compatible with their beliefs and their values and their culture. Yeah,
0: well, good point Miranda. Heidi, what was your what were your favorite parts? Oh, well, hello, I'm Heidi. Um
10: I am I've been a low carb ketogenic carnival um follower for many years but i'm just a follower um and i uh, found the conference amazing the speakers were great uh the content was great ben bickman dr george reed um two people that i really enjoy listening to um, Patrick uh, Holford. I'd never come across him before, and I thought his talk was particularly um, informative. And I was very pleased to have seen a talk like that because I hadn't seen anything like that before um, about that subject. And I was quite, you know, taken aback at how how powerful the diet is is in treating or preventing Alzheimer's. Um, so it's very interesting. Also, Sophia Clemens, I was very pleased to see, um, because the wealth of evidence that they have got there, it, it speaks for itself, really. And I'd like to see more of that in that area of cancer, because um, the options are, at the moment, the radiotherapy and chemotherapy, and people think that's it, and that's the best, and that's clearly not the case. And um, I thought the whole, whole conference, my mind still sort of trying to get over it, really, was, was really good. Um, but I think the general can everyone agrees on this uh processed food, cutting this out, and uh the proof now that people have got. Of the, you know, of showing how um, changing diet has been so powerful in making people feel well, um, I really feel. Hopefully, that clinicians and finger and, and people are much more confident in talking about this and offering it. Um, I still think it's perhaps a difficult area because I come home. And my children ask me, you know, about the conference, and they're just my youngest son is getting into the health thing. Um, and he's he's it for himself. No, he's looked at things and see that it's the carbs, but they still got this, um, kind of question of what is processed food and, you know, where do they go? And I, I'd like to, um, I don't know. I'll try and get them to look at the talks, you know, but they're they're, they're sort of just interested with snippets, if you know what I mean, and I'm hoping something will get them. I'm hoping um, I want to steer them somewhere, and I steer them everywhere to all these great speakers with all this information, but they they just want to take little bits, I think, in their own time, Mm -hmm. so I don't want to swamp them. But um, the amount of information, the amount, of um really good case studies and evidence now, and the mental health coming into light a really important area. I'm so pleased that that's being addressed much more now, and how fantastic you know with a diet a change of diet to help people with that, and the evidence is there so much more that's what i've i've I thought um yeah, I thought it was good uh, that it covered that and there were speakers there to cover that. Um, maybe a little bit more in my own um, personal experience on the menopause and things like that, but then that may be, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit more for women on that, getting into fitness and things, um, you know, where do they go and, you know, what's on offer, it, it, um, I know there is a lot, but there's also not a lot, isn't there, when you go out there so but um, yeah, I'm confident that uh it's going forward in the right direction, and particularly that everyone agreeing with the processed food is just a no no um yeah, so interestingly,
0: yeah. I've said for a long time this rise in mental health and it's only my personal opinion is it comes from the ultra processed foods and the amount that kids are given and we're brought up on and it's um completely ubiquitous throughout our whole lives and i was really pleased to see that georgia Ede said exactly the same thing she said ultra processed modern diet she believes is the cause of mental health. so it sort of validated what I'd been thinking for a few years now. Yeah. Um. I have a couple of little things I'm going to say, and then maybe I'll just come back to you all and see if you have anything that you want to add in at the end. Um. So the I, I was really, I liked what Ben Bickman said, and he took it from Thomas Siegfried said that um if you take the nucleus from a cancer cell and you put it into a healthy cell that cell does not get um cancer however if you take the mitochondria from a cancerous cell and put it into a healthy cell then that cell does get cancerous so that i found that was fascinating um and then the and then he also said anything in health that is growing is not genetic so if if it's gone up as so much as it has in the last 50 years that's not a genetic cause that's what I understood from that and then I loved what um, Angus Dalton said in the ethics and the um, environment and he said and I think this sums up the whole of the the conference really and he said if it is a plant you can eat it if it's something that eats a plant you can eat it and if it's made in a plant you can't eat it and i thought that that was really good um so anybody i i did have a couple of other things but if anybody else has got anything that they want to add before we finish
8: Yes. Yes, please. A Quick shout out to the public health collaboration uh, initiative called the TLC, uh, the Lifestyle Club. So this is a pilot that started about three years ago, which I'm very proud to have been a part of at the inception. Uh, So it's about changing the standard of care for type two diabetes and pre-diabetic patients in the UK. Uh, It's about trying to make um, lifestyle change, specifically real food, unprocessed food based and low carb based uh, therapy and lifestyle change, a default option uh, that's available to every single patient in the UK. Uh, So this is an award winning initiative. Um, Over 600 people have already benefited from it. And uh there's just recently a GoFundMe uh kind of has been launched to raise funds to do a study. Uh so so if anybody searches for it, it'll be kind of un- under GoFundMe. It's helped turn the tide on type 2 diabetes with TLC. Uh so I think they've um yeah, they've raised quite a bit of money already, but um Unlike a lot of uh, sort of uh, unlike a, unlike a lot of um, fake food based um, sort of interventions which can be monetized really easily, um, this intervention is all about getting people in their own kitchen, uh, buying unprocessed foods. It's about intermittent fasting. It's about real food. It's about low carb. It's about getting sleep. It's about lowering stress um and it's about making it a sustainable uh lifestyle as opposed to some of the total meal replacement style strategies that have been kind of um recently in vogue with the nhs in terms of getting fake shakes and fake soups uh, because uh, 800 calories a day for what is it 12 weeks and then yes you can get into remission temporarily but what happens afterwards whereas this is the the TLC is all about empowering people and getting them to be part of the community that's going to support them throughout their life and it's about teaching them how they can eat every single day they can eat food that they enjoy uh, that they love eating and that's going to support their health and keep them in remission Uh, so yeah please please do Uh, visit GoFundMe and look for uh, TLC help help turn the tide on type 2 diabetes with TLC and please uh, contribute and um, also please get involved because I think as this grows we're going to need more health coaches who are kind of really passionate about helping patients all across the UK and working in partnership with directly with uh, GPs and nurses uh, to
0: help patients. Yeah absolutely and I think that reminded me you know you're talking about how the TLC is trying to help patients prevent illness was Bob Gill's talk about how much money is spent in the NHS that could be unnecessary Um, there's a lot of you know wasted money we might say because it's not being spent in the right places and I think one I can't remember who said it but somebody said that four out of five beds taken up in hospital is because is due to somebody having a preventable disease um so we yeah. need to get to those four people that have a preventable disease before they get the disease and stop yeah. those hospital beds being taken up and how much more efficient would our nhs be if if we could start to shift in-
4: can i i just say my mum is a prime example and in January, she got diagnosed as pre-diabetic, and at that time, she didn't get any support from her GP surgery right. nothing right. at all right yeah and and that's for me was the problem I mean how long she's been pre-diabetic as well is, is another matter we don't we don't know my mum's of that generation so I so would be like. And result in the nurse was very, you know, she would just go oh, okay. She then because she told me, that, you know, that she's doing something about it. You know, I'm I'm helping her sort out her diet. Would that for the for the average person, mm-hmm. she didn't get advised about a TLC or any other organisation that could help her. She would have just bundled along, yeah, and eventually got type two diabetes and then the nhs
0: would
4: have another bill on their hands yeah it yeah. just doesn't make any sense and that's great that
0: she's listening to you because normally mums don't listen to their kids or dads yeah, <laughs> or yeah no. as ken berry said if they changed your nappy or your diaper um they won't listen to you anyone got anything no she's doing really well. excellent fabulous and, and then you Luckily, they found it at an early stage that you can do something quite easily to change it.
4: Yeah, I don't, I mean, I think looking back and, and Ben Bickman's speech going back to the conference um, helped me confirm it was that my my mum's skin tags over her neck and her back for as long as I can remember. So I would imagine she has been insulin resistant for many, many, many years. And she had a stroke at 46. And at the same time, she was smoking. Perhaps the two together just um, was too catastrophic. But yeah, so who knows what could have been diagnosed years ago. I don't know. We never know. Yeah. Anyone else
0: got anything they want to add?
2: Hi, Matthew again. I'd just like to add the fact that uh, what Aranda said really was get behind PHC because really what we're looking for is we're looking for those people that have potentially listened to this, that are on the peripheries, they're thinking about what's going on, look at, may, maybe looking at all the science, maybe not. Like, uh, like Heidi said earlier, maybe a kid is just sort of peering in, seeing which snippets they can pull out of things. And I think sometimes we are in danger of diving too far into things like plants versus meat or or can we outrun a bad diet or really look into the the cancer cells and sorts of things like that which are great for us to look into and great to have in the back of our minds to back us up but really the overall thing from the PhD and what really stood out from the conference especially like uh, we mentioned earlier in the meat versus plants uh, debate was this processed food If anybody today is listening to this on the peripheries and wondering what to do or think, how can I even better myself? How can I help my future health in any way? It is living that processed food. Once you start doing that, then I'm a firm believer of your body will start to give you the signals of which ways to turn. Perhaps, yes, you might turn to a little bit of plants to begin with and then crave some more animal food. And then you might search out a health coach and then you might really start to dive into the science like us but that first step is reduce the processed food and that's what the phc is all about it's just the real food so anybody listening to this take that away today please uh, and go from there excellent great excellent yeah Yep.
6: Can I and, just say uh, one more thing, please? Oh, sorry, Amanda.
8: <laughs> and uh, on ultra-processed foods, listen to Dr. Chris Van Tilliken's latest book, which is Ultra-processed People, uh, because I guarantee anybody who listens to that, um, first of all, it's a highly entertaining book. Uh, it's a highly informative book. But also um, you learn about these food-like substances that we're all used to eating that our supermarkets are full of are food they're not actually food they are food like substances uh and it's a really powerful book really recommend mm. it
0: yeah and i think that was another point that came across during the conference that it's not it's not food it's not real food it's not food it's like you said food like substance nicola go
6: Oh, hi. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I don't think we can talk about the PHC and the conference without giving a shout out to David and Jen Unwin, uh, the power couple who <laughs> founding members of the PHC, both at the conference, both contributing to the panel. And Steve Bennett, who's a patron of the PHC, has actually presented Dr. David Unwin on Friday. Um, with an award in appreciation of his outstanding contribution to improving people's health. And anybody who was there or will catch up on the video, you could see just the emotion. He's, he's so humble. So well-deserved award for Dr. David Unwin.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think everyone in the audience was pleased as well. Yes. Yes. They do so much together.
10: They've always got time, haven't they? They just seem to uh, never stop helping, which is, uh, yeah, it's lovely. Lovely people. Yeah. Very nice.
0: Right. So um, thank you, Janet. Thank you, Nicola. Thank you, Aranda. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Rich. And we had Lois listening in from the USA who just wanted to come in and listen. Well, very good.
2: Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you
0: very much. It's been very informative again. <laughs> yeah, it's a great reminder, isn't it? Of some of the points. Yeah, right? people's yeah. Picked and... up on different things. Yeah.
10: yeah, fantastic. Yeah, very yeah. good. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Jackie. You're welcome. To listen.
0: I'm not going to chat too much about this episode because it was quite long and I think everybody had some really great points and some valid points. But one of the things I did pick out was I thought was interesting was what Matthew said about vitamin studies and they show a benefit because most people's nutrition isn't very good. And when you have good nutrition, you don't need to supplement or you don't need to supplement as much unless you're one vegan and possibly vegetarian. Um, Overall, I think the takeaway for all of us and at the conference was eat real food, ideally locally, and remove the four biggest offenders, grains, seed oils, sugar, and ultra processed foods. And I think things are shifting because when I started this journey six years ago, most people hadn't heard of keto. Lots of people now have heard of it. And one thing that Dr. David Unwin says is that when he gives people the choice to take drugs forever or to make a food and lifestyle change, nearly everyone chooses the food and lifestyle changes. And there were lots of doctors and healthcare professionals at the conference. I even met two from Spain. One was an endocrinologist. I'm ever hopeful that we will soon reach the tipping point and it will be like a snowball rolling down the hill, gathering snow and gathering momentum and speed. So I'm hoping that we're going to we're going to reach that point soon and maybe in my lifetime. I don't know. And there are times when I think, no, it's never going to change. But maybe there's enough of us out there to to get this to move and um, yeah I'm looking forward to see what the future brings in terms of health and if as I mentioned in the podcast you know four out of five beds on the NHS in the UK are taken up by people with preventable diseases can we shift it so that those diseases have become prevented if that makes sense I don't know that wasn't very good English was it Um, yeah can we can we make an impact on people before they actually get sick and then maybe we can do something to improve the national health service so that it doesn't go spiraling out of control as it is at the moment anyway the show notes can be found at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 142 search for fabulously keto on facebook our facebook page is called fabulously keto and you can follow us there or you can follow us on twitter our handle is fabulously keto or follow us on instagram fabulously keto one did you enjoy the show let us know you listened by tagging us in your insta story or instagram post using the handle fabulously keto one and the hashtag tfkp